Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host, and I am joined by Mark LaRocco. Mark, welcome. Thank you. We have got some fun stuff to cover for you tonight, today, this afternoon, early in the morning, whenever you happen to be listening to this episode of the podcast. Um, we got a couple of new movies that have, uh, well, one of them's come out, and one of them we don't know when it's going to come out, um, but we're very excited to talk about them. Got some other things. And sadly, we have to lead off with some some sad news. Um, we are recording this at the beginning of February, uh, Groundhog Day, I believe. And uh, two days ago, two nights ago, uh, on the way to actually see one of the movies we're going to talk about tonight, I stopped by Top Hat Video because it was their last day in business. So I think we need to acknowledge our friends. Finally, uh, closing up shop. It's been it's been in the works for a little while now. We've, we've talked about it previously, but... Uh, January 31st was the last day and just a, just a bummer, just a bummer. I don't know. It's, it, it feels, it feels like the end of an era. It, yeah, it is. I, I mean, it definitely is. And I, and just really quick, I thought they were closing December 31st. Did they extend it by a month? No, that's, that's when they stopped renting. Oh, so, okay. so basically, yeah. So for the last three or four months, maybe, uh, they've been progressively whittling things down where they've had some, uh, some, some, con, uh, some product sales, you know, so they've, they've sold off a lot of their, uh, used videos and, and, uh, things like that. And, and then I think that the end of the year was when they stopped officially renting. And so this last few weeks has just been, uh, you know, having people come in to, to buy off some of the old, uh, Blu-rays and DVDs, and uh, January 31st was that last day. So, so uh, good luck and, and and farewell to our friends at Top Hat. Uh, kind of a bummer way to start off the year, but luckily there are some some new things happening, some some good things coming down the the pike. And uh, what is a pike anyway? I mean, that's the expression, isn't it? Coming down the pike. <laughs> I don't know what have that you ever is. Heard that before? I've heard that a you've, lot, you've, and I probably said you have it heard a lot. it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm not I'm not saying it wrong. I just don't know what it means. That's funny. I wonder if people there are people who say coming down the pipe because that would make more sense, right? That might. That might. And see, I almost want to find out for sure what it is now, but we'll move on okay. because we have better things to talk about than uh, than cliched expressions that I shouldn't be using in the podcast anyway. <laughs> um we have a pair of new movies, um, and we're going to start with the one that you can see this weekend uh, as of the, the weekend of, what is that going to be, February 3rd and 4th. Mm-hmm. Um, Knock at the Cabin is the latest from long time now director M. Night Shyamalan, uh, mostly known for his horror movies like The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. Um, he's had a He's had a up and down road and mm-hmm. the newest one knock at the cabin is also well i guess i would call it a horror movie for the most part um it's about a home invasion there are these these four mysterious strangers that were all carrying kind of these spooky farm implement type things and uh they barge their way into the home of this uh this family that is i guess they're on vacation some kind of an airbnb thing i got the sense uh, there's, uh, two, two fathers, it's, it's a, it's a gay couple and they've got their, their adopted daughter and they're just trying to enjoy some time out in the woods. I think they're, is it Pennsylvania? Was that where they were at? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so back East and 
these guys just barge their way in and tell them that they have to sacrifice one of themselves. Otherwise, the apocalypse is going to start, which is, uh, you know. That's right. I guess. <laughs> yeah, the four, I, the, the four home invaders tell the three, three members of yeah. the family that one of the three family members has to be sacrificed and they have to choose. Mm-hmm. That's another right it has to be it. a voluntary thing mm-hmm. right i mean that's that's kind of one of the, the the key parts of the concept is that that in spite of their already kind of violent and, and intimidating behavior they will not actually do the killing of these poor people that they are tormenting uh, it has to be a voluntary thing and uh things get kind of stranger and stranger from there mm-hmm. um and so so essentially uh as they continue to refuse to cooperate, various plagues, according to these, you know, to these home invaders, according to the, you know, if, if they don't cooperate, a series of plagues is going to be unleashed on the world. Mm-hmm. And so we see because they, you know, they turn on a TV in the house and, of course, it's on a news station that is suddenly announcing what's going on and and the first one is you know there's a there's a tsunami there's an earthquake out in the the pacific ocean and it's going to destroy you know part of the pacific northwest in the on the coast specifically um so yeah so if the if the family doesn't sacrifice one of themselves uh these plagues are going to progressively get worse and worse and eventually the full-on apocalypse is going to happen mm-hmm. so i guess you'd have to call that a horror movie right i mean it's a home invasion movie right how yeah. can a home invasion movie not be a horror movie um and yet I, maybe that's why i'm confused is because i have plenty of thoughts on this i'm going to pitch it over here to you in a second but one of the first takeaways is, is after we you know because we, we saw this earlier this week and we chatted a little bit afterwards and i remember walking to my car and just kind of thinking that wasn't a very scary movie yeah. You know, I think I think it's supposed to be a horror movie. It wasn't a very scary movie. Well, it's interesting but, uh, because yeah. Yeah, go ahead. It's it's I I think it was psychologically horrifying. Um it wasn't very scary and it didn't actually have very many scary scenes in it. For example, there weren't a lot of jump scenes and there weren't a lot of Oh, not at all. Like yeah. the kinds where you just can barely watch. You're watching through your eyes or whatever. Um it was but it was psychologically yeah. extremely horrifying and just the the choice that the the family supposedly has to make at the behest of these four strangers slash home invaders is really tough. And I yeah. I think uh, I, I some of the things I liked about it is all of the philosophical questions that it raises. They're almost in some ways mm-hmm. more interesting than the movie itself. Um, uh. But like because I was thinking about that, I remember we talked a little you know right after we saw about the the train problem. In, in, in philosophy that was actually depicted in the, the TV show, The Good Place, which is that, um, let's say that, uh, you know, there was a train that was going to kill like a, like your child or like a person. And you, you have to, you have the chance to steer the train onto a different track, but it's going to kill a whole bunch of strangers or say kill everybody on the yeah. train. You know, it's, it's, it's a really terrible dilemma that anyone would be faced with, but like you can debate what kind of choice you should or would make. Well, I think in this mm-hmm. situation, it's more that the train is on a track to just kill everybody. Like it's just going to go off a cliff 
and you can divert it to a track that would have someone in your family on it. And then everybody on the train would be yeah. saved, and the person on the track who would be your close family member, immediate family member, would die. So it's kind of a classic philosophical dilemma that this movie presents. But then, and, and I know that's part of probably what M. Night Shyamalan wanted to do, and it's based on a book. It was a novel that was written in 2018 called The Cabin at the End right. of the World. Um, but also, I, and this isn't this is sort of this whole Shyamalan twist he likes to do in every movie is is the the big question is are these strangers telling the truth or or not? And obviously, we're not going to reveal that here. Um, it's funny because I I was uh, reading an article on on this movie and Warner warning they should have done a spoiler warning in the very first sentence of the article. It basically reveals the endings of three prior Shyamalan movies. I mean, it was so badly written. So I guess it's assuming the, the whole statute of limitations issue on if a movie is so so many years old, you know, it's okay to do that, yeah. I guess, to spoil. But yeah, we're not going to spoil this one. Um, I did, overall, I think I liked it better than you. And when we talked after the, the movie, it, it, it was more effective for me and it, it kind of got me. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see it being... Even shorter than it was, and it was a pretty short, ninety-five minute movie. But it felt like it had a few, a couple right. unnecessary flashbacks. I even thought of it as maybe a Twilight Zone, almost like a, a slightly extended Twilight mm-hmm. Zone episode. Because other than just this sort of core conceit of the movie, there's not a whole lot of other stuff that has to happen. And it's it's really a movie with seven people, kind of a bottle episode of a TV mm-hmm. show or something. So I guess maybe that's what made me what made me think of a series such as you know the Twilight Zone. Um, but I, I liked it. And, and the other thing is I haven't seen a lot of Shyamalan movies, uh, recently. I've seen a, pretty much all of his early movies and it's not as good as those. Um, I, I'm talking specifically no. about the first three, not the first three, cause the sixth sense is actually his third movie, but the sixth sense unbreakable and signs are, I think are his three mm-hmm. best movies. Um, but I mean, I think it's, it's got its moments, it's got its chills and it, definitely plays out in a dramatic way and uh well and you mentioned yeah. that you liked uh bautista's performance quite i a did bit, right? quite a bit i'd never seen i didn't even know he had that in him because it's a dramatic role and even though he's the largest most physically imposing character in the movie in some ways mm-hmm. he he's he's he has a sort of gentleness about him that's unexpected and you know he's sort of he, he's got his glasses on and he says he's a second grade teacher. That's one of the things he tells the family. And, yeah. Well, I was uh, going to say like that maybe, maybe cause that's something we can say is yeah. that uh, all of these, these, these are not just like people who have been holing up in the woods. Mm-hmm. They're just drawn from every day. You know, one of them, like you say, was a second grade teacher. Another yeah. one was a nurse. Uh, I think another one was just like a chef at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another one worked for the oil company or, or the gas company. Yeah. Gas companies, I think is what he said. And, and so, they all, you know, when they, when they're trying to explain themselves and and trying to convince, you know, the their their victims that uh, that they're legitimate and to be believed, they're talking about their backgrounds and they 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 actually go so far as to give themselves like these really awkward introductions at mm-hmm. the beginning of all this. Yeah, and and you know, and the victims are sitting there like, what are you doing? This is so. Yeah, and I guess maybe that's part of what I struggled with was that it just felt so quirky it just felt so odd you know i mean well i yeah i think that you know home and home invasion is something to me that seems very very frightening because it's you know we're not talking about zombies we're not talking about 
you know, Wizards and, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger were talking about something that does happen. And mm-hmm. so the way it was portrayed just was kind of clunky and odd. And I and I understand why, because I, I'm with you. I completely agree that the the movie is supposed to be a dramatized version of the ethical dilemmas that sometimes you'll have when you're just kind of having those conversations with people. I think there's even, you know, mm-hmm. uh, board games and stuff that you can play where they'll say, well, would you rather do this or would you rather do this? And yeah. You say, would you rather, would you rather allow the people on the train to die or would you like your own child to be sacrificed? And, and so yeah. I, I, you know, all of, all of Shyamalan's movies are built around some conceit like this, some, some kind of big idea yeah. And uh, and and so that's definitely what's going on here. I just didn't buy into it, and I just I didn't feel like I I saw what was going on, and I understood what he, he was trying to do, but it just didn't click for me. Mm-hmm. And and part of it, and like I said, it just it wasn't very scary, and it's not that I wanted jump scares and i was actually grateful you know there there is some violence in this movie it's a, it's an r-rated movie um probably from a combination of of uh profanity and violence although the violence as you, as you noted mm-hmm. um i remember when we were talking like the the worst of the violence always happens out of the frame right and so it's still intense enough that i would still say yeah this merits an r rating um, but at the very least, it's not gratuitous or indulgent at all. Yeah, I felt um, I felt which, that, I felt yeah. that way too. Yeah, there's a lot of I mean, there's a fair amount of violence in the movie, but nearly, you know, when there's a extreme amount of something horrifying that happens to to people in the movie, you just you see a very like the edge of it or part of it, and you don't yeah. ever see it full on like you would in say a Tarantino movie or a lot of slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so I, I like that. I, I mean, to me, that's, that's more Hitchcockian than Tarantinoian. I don't know how you say that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like that when it's, when it's off screen. Um, wh- one of the things, so it's interesting you say that because yeah, with Shyamalan, he loves these twist endings and often he holds, he, he keeps you in suspense as to what's really going on or what really happened until the very end or close right. to the very end of the movie. And in this movie, I could see it much sooner than the end um and i don't know if that was really intentional or not or maybe we figured it out a little sooner but it's not one where i would say like oh it's you know you find out exactly at the very last moment but there and i'm not saying there's not certain types of things that are are held back that you that you learn later but um the big question is i feel like you know it's resolved a little sooner and it so it's still but it still did did work for me i i still liked it and i still was you know, chilled and scared and, and, uh, you know, it makes you think. And it did make me think after the movie. I mean, I kind of kept thinking about that. And I think I mentioned to you about, you know, another dilemma I remember reading in in the book of questions. That's like a conversation starter book full of these would you rathers is, you know, would you rather have 40,000 people die in an earthquake in Peru or some random, you know, some third world country or 200 people die in a crash at your local airport or your best friend die of cancer. And so, and of course, I mean, why would people even talk about that? It's a horrible choice. But I mean, to see it played out, this kind of thing, you know, played out in a movie, it's I, I could see why Shyamalan was drawn to the material. It's just right up his right sure. up his bag. And it, I just 
I just feel like it's the kind of thing that works much well as a conversation between a couple of guys like us, but doesn't play out in real life very believably. It just, yeah. I didn't, I didn't buy it. it. The, the, the invaders, in spite of the fact that they had hacked and, and broken their way into this cabin, were not threatening. And they went out of their way to kind of point out that, hey, you know, we're just like facilitators here. We're not actually going to hurt you. And it's like, okay, so we're just supposed to kind of buy into what you're arguing. And, you know, I mean, yes, Dave Bautista is this huge, huge yeah. guy. I just, I don't know. It, it didn't. I, I would have to disagree with you that. I think four strangers breaking into your cabin in the middle of the woods, holding like homemade, you know, weapons that are kind of look like farm tools, but are like fashioned weapons t- saying all these just absolutely insane apocalyptic things as be- being as dead serious as they can. I think that's, I think that's pretty scary. I mean, that's pretty menacing. And I get that they're not, they're trying to not. It's a, anyway, it's a scary concept. Violence. I don't think it was executed well. Okay. I think the concept is very interesting and I can see what they were trying to do. I don't feel like it translated or, or executed the no no pun intended. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, I mean, it's an interesting. Well, what would you? So, do you do? Are, are you doing like a star rating for this one, or or would you have to kind of hold off? On um, that? Oh, if I had to, I would be somewhere between. Uh, I I want to give it enough credit, you know, because I I thought Bautista did a good job as well, and mm-hmm. and. It was very interesting and atmospheric and and stuff, and so I, I would I would almost give it enough credit to go to like two and a half stars, but mm-hmm. probably more like two. And it just I I think partially it suffers because it just doesn't measure up to some of his better movies. Yeah, and and you know I I don't know if this is what I would okay. Well, this, here's this is how I'll put it. Okay, um, to your point earlier when you're talking about kind of the the twist slash reveal because it it's not really a twist right it's more right. kind of a explanation which one is it yeah which which explanation yeah. is, is the correct one yeah right and i i remember sitting about you know about halfway through the movie and just thinking to myself okay this is interesting i'm not fully engaged with this i don't think i'm quite buying in but i'll stick with it and if they can really stick the landing if they can really provide something to really knock me out at the end then it'll work but if it just kind of fizzles out then that kind of drags the rest of the movie down with it this is this is those like you're describing it's one of those movies that is really built on the suspense of why is this happening what is going to be you know what's the explanation and so whereas some of his other movies and for the sake of those who haven't seen him we won't give them away but they're they're built on real significant twists where once you learn a particular thing it completely flips the movie around and you're reinterpreting everything you've seen so far. Mm-hmm. This didn't really do that so much as say, okay, now that I have this piece of information, now I think I understand a little bit more what's happening. And when I was given that piece of information for knock at the cabin, it was kind of a metaphor, you know, just kind of a shrug of the shoulders. Mm-hmm. It was, oh, well, okay. And so I, I didn't feel particularly moved or, enlightened by the ending again i understood it i thought okay well i guess that makes sense but it doesn't make me like the movie anymore it doesn't make me more excited about what i've seen it didn't make it all that resonant because i don't know i mean my 
see now I'm trying to think of how I can say something without saying too much, but like what, what I understand about their reasoning and explanation doesn't really line up with what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. So it didn't really connect that way, but no, I but, mean, so let me, let me, I, now, now I certainly, I certainly would not rank this among Shyamalan's worst movies. I mean, I would, I would probably put it, if this is a, a more accurate scale, I would probably put it somewhere in the middle Yeah. where, you know, it does, it's not sixth sense. It doesn't, I, I didn't like it as much as signs. I didn't like it as much as the visit. Um, I liked it a lot more than, than after earth. Um, probably even I would say I liked it better than old his most recent one. Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess that's where I'm falling. Okay. What about the happening or the village? Um, so funny enough, uh, I did not see the happening. Um, by that time his, his stuff was getting such negative feedback that I didn't even bother seeing that one. Um, then, uh, the village was the first movie because you, you, you mentioned that you kind of figured out what was going on before they revealed it. Uh, the village was the first of his movies where I basically, figured out the twist beforehand Mm -hmm. and so when it came it was i guess there was a mild sense of accomplishment although i'm not really the kind of person who tries to figure out the twists beforehand i'm happy to just kind of experience the movie and just kind of get lost in it um but the village felt so obvious that it just kind of occurred to me partway through what was what was happening yeah um i didn't have that experience with this one but it sounds like you did well and yeah, I think I did. I, I mean, we maybe yeah. We'll we'll have to we we can talk more about that. But I yeah, I think I there are some cer- certain thing reasons I I did figure it out. But the village was interesting because some of these twists are explained supernaturally, right? And some of these twists are not supernatural. Mm-hmm. And the village was one. Right. I mean, one of the reasons that was twisty, and I and I did I did like that movie too. Is it 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 was it wasn't you know and um, and so it's a very practical twist. <laughs> yeah, in a way, it was a practical twist. It's like oh okay, that could really I yeah you know so um, but uh, yeah, I, sometimes I almost don't even like when people tell me there's a twist because in sometimes mm-hmm. that's a spoiler because then you're looking for a twist. You're looking for something that's going to be the opposite of what you've been watching for two hours or. Or, you know, well, and I think that kind of hampered him early on, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe once didn't. once he had his first couple big movies, everybody was expecting. They just kind of thought it was twist. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, Mar- Marvel movies have the the post credit scene, and Shyamalan has big twists, right? Right. So, yeah. So when they don't when they don't follow through, you feel disappointed. Well, I can recommend Wayward Pines if you ever want to catch a TV series that that Shyamalan did. Um, I, okay. I thought it was, it was quite good. Um, so, and it's also a, a twist. It's interesting. It's a twist where the big, the big twist is revealed about six or seven episodes into the series. And then it continues okay. for another season two. It goes into season two. Um, one more, one more note, Jonathan Groff. Yeah. I liked him in this movie. He is, um, it, he plays one of dad, Eric. It's, it's a gay couple that lives in a cabin with their, with their adopted daughter. And he, uh, is King George in Hamilton. He played it on the, the, the Disney Plus, you know, the one on Disney Plus and on Broadway. And so he sings. He sings like, you know, you'll be back, kind of a big big number. And he gets to sing in this movie Not as in well. this movie. He doesn't sing. He does. Oh, does? In the car ride. Do you remember? 
Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. He does. I mean, it's not like this, this is a musical. Bit. It's not a musical, it but he's, sings a he's singing bit. along with a with a song, <laughs> and the song has a little little bit of meaning. And so, like, yeah, it was it was a. Um, I, I wonder. I kind of wondered if it was like, hey, I want to sing, or let's put a little just you know thirty seconds of singing in this movie because it was, it, you know. Anyway, I like that. Um, so yeah, I would say just like I, how. I, Christopher Walken always wants to dance. He always dances. Yeah, that's true. This yeah. is this is the same thing. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so I uh, I think all I right. Would do so a three. so we are we are bitterly divided then, huh? Well, not really. Some... I for me it's a three out of five or three and a half out of five. So it's a recommendation, mm-hmm. but it's not not a strong one. I mean, it's firmly yeah. maybe number five in the Shyamalan oeuvre. Okay, well, let's move on to something that we can't disagree on because I haven't seen it yet. Oh, and, yes. Uh, and I am I'm fighting off pangs of jealousy because this is, if you listen to our previous <laughs> episode, the movie I am most excited to see this year. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about okay. Flora and Sun? Yes, so I um, got to go to Sundance. First time in probably 12 years. I used to go every year and... I went with my sister, my little sister, and we went to the Eccles Theater in Park City, which is the big one, pretty big theater, and we saw John Carney's newest. Um, he is famous for Once and uh, Sing Street, and then I believe Begin Again, which you have seen, correct? And I have not seen. Um, yes, and right. I, yeah, and I loved that. I, I, I mean, uh, Once was... I, here's what I appreciate. And I'll tell you a little bit about the experience and then I'll, I'll go into the movie. So one thing I love about going to Sundance is you get to see the director usually and the actors, unless it's maybe near the end of the week and they've all left and they have nothing, they're not there anymore. But this was the second showing. It played on January 22nd. <laughs> and then I went to the January 24th showing at night and it was already a hit. Apparently it was, there was a raucous, excited, happy crowd. They were, you know, trying to sing and all this kind of stuff on the opener. And by the time I saw the movie on, on Tuesday night, the 24th, that day it had sold for $20 million to Apple, Apple TV. So hmm. uh, for some people that's good news, some people it's bad news because that means Apple TV can sit on this thing for a long time and wait uh. months to show it like they did with Cha Cha Real Smooth last year. Well, let me tell you about it. So Flora, um, <laughs> she's a single mom. She is played by Eve Hewson, who is Bono's daughter. Um, she's got a son played by Oren Kinlan, named Max, and he is a teenage boy who is kind of going down the path of juvenile delinquency. And then she also has a, a, a little bit of a relate. Well, her ex is Jack Rayner, who who also was in Sing Street. He was the, yeah. the kid's brother, and and the, he's in the movie as well. And it's interesting because the movie starts with her dancing in a club. She obviously likes music but has never tried to really play an instrument. But her ex was in a band. He was a bassist for a band that apparently opened for Snow Patrol once and did a music video. Her son is starting to get a little bit of interest in in trying to make rap music just because he thinks it's cool. And then um, she, right near the beginning of the movie, she literally finds a guitar in a dumpster and just kind of has the idea to go grab it, take it to a shop, see how much it costs to fix it up. And then... Uh, she wants to give it to her son and he just has no interest in it. And so she meets on YouTube, uh, a YouTube guitarist who kind of was a failed musician. So now he teaches guitar lessons on YouTube. Um, And his name is Jeff and he's played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So he's kind of the biggest star in the movie. And I, 
and so overall, I, I liked it. Um, I, it's, it's kind of interesting because all of his movies sort of do this. They're sort of about music and the power of music to help us make connections with people. Or maybe is it how connections with people can inspire us musically? And maybe it's a little bit of both, like a chicken or the egg thing. Um, they just, music and relationships with people kind of go together naturally in a John Carney film. Um, and so, it, you know, some very sweet moments. There's some very funny moments. Um, I think this movie, and maybe it was seeing it in a big Sundance crowd that just lapped up every moment of it, but it was, I think, his funniest movie. Um, I, I remember laughing more in this than I did in, in Once or um, or Sing Street. And even, and Once, really, I mean, it's, it's not a comedy. Um, I was going to say, Sing I don't Street. remember Once being funny at all. Right, I don't think it was. It's sort of a mournful, almost sort of sad tale in a lot of ways, but it's still got a lot of music in it, and, and as all of his movies do, I mean... There's almost extended music videos in them, uh, and they 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 almost they almost feel like musicals um, in the way that music is intertwined. But they're not classic musicals where suddenly everybody just starts singing and dancing, oh, right, right. you know. And uh, so um, that's what I think his real gift is, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, and he he said in in the question and answer session after the movie that the movie was a tribute to his mom because because Eve Hewson really is the star of the movie. I mean, she's in nearly every scene she has to play kind of funny you know very dramatic like regretful about her life decisions but sort of also a determination to, to try to make things better but she's an extremely flawed imperfect character um the big kind of regret or i guess downside of this movie is it has a lot of swearing it's not just a few f-bombs i mean it's throughout and so it was a little uncomfortable to watch and um and and you know john carney said that She's a salty, I can't remember how he described her after the movie, but she's salty. You know, she's, she's yeah. definitely kind of rough edged, unpolished. And, and that's part of her, besides some decisions that she makes in her life that just shows how, how much of a, a I guess, a flawed hero or imperfect person that she, she is. But she does some great things and, and is trying her best as a mother. And so that's why he feels like it's a tribute to his own mom. Who, who allowed him to have a bass guitar when he was young and, and hits how kind of he got his start. He, he started in music before he got into movies. Um, and he even talked about his writing process where he sits in front of his computer, then he's got his piano over here, and sometimes he plinks on that a little bit and writes some more, and then he has a guitar back there. And so he even just incorporates music in his own writing as he's writing a movie. It's really interesting. And he, write, you know, he writes and co-writes the songs. Um, so I... I definitely, uh, I do recommend it. Um, but just, you know, with a warning that it's, it's, you know, got quite a bit of swearing and, uh, and it's, but it's, it's, you know, no, not violent and no nudity and, uh, just kind of, you know, be aware that it's not like seeing street, which I think was basically PG, yeah. um, maybe it's PG 13 and, uh, but just a great, great movie, fun time at the, at the theater. Yeah. Well, and maybe maybe that's a good point, right? Is that if the uh the language is is too much of a deterrent for you and you want to have the John Carney experience, which I definitely recommend. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, Sing Street is one that, you know, cuz I, I I think I think a lot of people know Sing Street, but not a ton of people. Like I don't, right. I don't get the sense that it is universal universally known, you know, certainly not the way that a lot of mainstream movies are. And so, yeah, if anybody happens to be listening to this podcast and has not seen sing street 
Um, it is a joyous movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's of, of the three of his that I've seen, and it's, this is without having seen Flora and Son, it's definitely the one that I would call a closest thing to a comedy uh even begin again wasn't wasn't particularly funny i mean it's not that they're yeah. that they're dour necessarily but but sing street really went out of its way to show the the zaniness and kind of the crazy fun and you know a lot of it's because it's about teenagers mm-hmm. and they're they're knocking their way through high school and and uh i don't know any anybody who's had any experience playing in in garage bands knows that uh comedy ensues uh often unintentionally yeah but, uh, but yeah no i'm i'm excited to, i'm excited to see this I, I i can't wait i have loved every one of his movies um and and it's it's interesting as well and i i'd love to hear back from you when you get a chance to see begin again because he really has some through lines in all of his movies they're mm-hmm. all very very music centric and and like you say they also deal a lot with you know, relationships and, and, and people and the way that music connects us and, and, and is kind of a conduit and, you know, almost, almost a way of expressing emotions that maybe people don't, you know, particularly like to say out loud, stuff like that. But all of his movies are also very, very unique, you know, like, like once, I mean, I guess you would think that once and Sing Street were by the same director, but they're they're very, very different movies. Right. Yeah. And, and, and begin again is the one that was my understanding of it is that's the one where he, he attempted to go a little bit more mainstream. I mean, he's got more kind of like Hollywood A-listers in that one. He's got uh, Mark Ruffalo and uh, Kara Knightley are the, mm-hmm. are the leads in that movie. Um, and so it has kind of a different tone as well, but uh, you know, so he's, so he's demonstrating some interesting range while, while still being kind of true to what, you can tell his real passion is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, there, there's in a kind of an odd way, there's a, an argument that this movie's a mixture of Sing Street and Once because there's mm-hmm. relationships between adults in this movie that are forged through music. And it's both through her and her ex. Cause he, he's in the movie quite a bit, even though they're, they're not together, Jack Rayner, but then also her and the guitar teacher, Joseph yeah. Gordon Levitt. to where they start to develop something as, as the teaching of the lessons happen and she starts to get pretty decent and helps write things. And so like, but then also you have the teenage son, kind of like the teenage boy who, who's, you know, making the music videos and wanting to be in the band in, uh, in Sing Street. Yeah. Um, and he, he's, he's trying to do rap. He's trying to do a whole different type of music from his mom. But she also begins to relate to him musically and, and try to help him. And, and so... Yeah, I mean, for a music lover, I mean, I guess for music lovers like us, there's already it's already going to be a, a bonus. These kind of movies are, I think, because it's yeah, just fun sure, to, to get sure. these new songs. But then, and it's not just songs that that John Carney and others have have written for this movie. It's some it's a, it's a classic songs like, and I wonder if John Carney did this on purpose. I don't know if you remember the big Sundance hit from last year, which ended up winning Best Picture of the Year in 2024, 2021 in 2022 was coda and it's about a girl from a deaf a family of deaf people who wants to be a singer and so the anyway so there's a scene where she's doing an audition singing uh both sides now by Joni mitchell Mm -hmm. and begins to sign it but she's singing it um for for the judges but then signing it for her family well there's a both sides now scene in this movie as well that's that's kind of touching 
it's kind of poignant. Okay. Um, but then some of the, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, it's not, it's not a comedy like through and through. This isn't like just a laugh out loud slapstick. There are just a few sure. scenes in it that are, that just brought down the house. And so, um, and a lot of it, and that the reason why I, I praise Carney and not just the actors is it had to do with holding back on a camera on camera angles and then showing the whole thing. There was a couple of scenes like that where the the humor came from just just sort of like a, a zoom out, for example, or a pan, okay. and and it just it was just it was perfect. And so there, that's what I what I appreciated about it. But but really, it's you know it's a it's a comedy romance drama I, I don't know how you describe it comedy romance drama musical <laughs> um but yeah yeah but it's it's i mean and it was i think it's going to do well at least i don't know what the algorithms are going to show or what we'll have even ever learn from apple tv but i i think it'll it'll get get some views on that once it's released yeah well i uh I will be watching it right away as soon as it comes down the pike or the pipe or whatever it happens to come down in the, the in the vast the vast network of tubes that right. is the internet, right? That kind so, of makes um, sense. And it kind of refers to a, a roadway <laughs> or a turnpike. I did look that up by the way. A while, a oh, there we go. Ago. So yeah, it go. is pike, P I K E. Okay. Yeah. Oh, look at this. All right. Um so that's a that's a big thumbs up on Flora and Son, and assumed a big thumbs up for me. I'm sure eventually, um, but we saw a couple of other movies that uh, that have been out for a little while. We're just kind of getting caught up on some things. Um, I think this one you mentioned that you had seen, uh, I saw a, a part part of, but didn't get all the way through. Not because I was just like, I, sh- I should I should say like I didn't just turn it off in disgust or anything like this. I just didn't manage to finish it in the process of blasting through a bunch of movies at the end of last year but uh why don't you why don't you tell us about something that i think probably would be like a full-blown family recommendation if uh flora and son is a little too salty oh yeah for the yeah. taste of some viewers this is a great yeah this one is a pg i believe maybe g but i think it's pg it's puss in boots the last wish which came out in december and uh it kind of flew in under the radar i, I it didn't ever I don't think make anyone's list as one of the most anticipated movies of the year, but it's just killed it. No, um, it's been behind Avatar in second place or third place when when Megan was doing well for basically a month, a little over a month now. Um, so we went and saw it as a family last week and around a week ago or so, and I really liked it. And I I didn't even remember if I had seen the uh, the first Puss in Boots movie. Like I, that's how little yeah, I. I know cared. I haven't seen any. <laughs> Just like, well, it's a family movie. Yeah, yeah, it was funny, and I know I've seen all the Shreks, and that's where Puss in Boots started because it's really these these sort of twists. I feel like we've used that word right. 50 it's a times. spinoff. Spinoffs of these of these fairy tale stories, and and <laughs> um, what Puss in Boots sort of the 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 synopsis is that he is. Um, he he has used up eight of his nine lives because he's a cat. He has nine lives. The movie shows the ways that he's died, and and then he begins to be filled with almost this sense of existential dread. He's confronting his own mortality, and he's this heroic figure who even sings a song at the beginning of the movie about how fearless he is, and how everyone expects that of him. And then he begins to have these fears, and then but then fortunately there's a wishing star that that. Um, 
if he can find it, basically can grant a wish, which he wants to have his lives back. But then, of course, there are several other characters or sets of, you know, characters in the movie who are also trying to get to the wishing star. And um, so there's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. There's little Jack Horner, who is a villain, who's a big, big Jack Horner or something now. And he he's quite a villainous character. And then there's this um, dog or wolf-like creature that is basically chasing down Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots always challenging him to a fight um, that is very terrifying and menacing. Um, and then, you know, he has a little uh, companion or uh, sidekick named Perito, who's a little dog that is presented as kind of extremely like very kind and supportive, like a great companion and just totally without guile and maybe kind of dumb, but he sort of is the charming, I don't know. He steals the show in the movie. Um, and then there's a love interest, Kitty soft paw. And that is, that is with Puss in Boots. And so there's a lot of characters in it. Um, they're all sort of going to try to find this wishing star, but for me, it was, it was fine. It was, it was, it was a good movie. And then it hit this scene where, which, well, basically Puss in Boots has a panic attack, which I've never seen in a cartoon or an animated movie before. And it, it presents it realistically. Um, he, he's leaning against a tree and the movie just slows down suddenly. And all you hear is his sort of laborious breathing that it, it happens when people have a panic attack where they're almost, almost hyperventilating, but not quite. Then you hear his heartbeat. And then little Perito, the little dog, just instead of trying to fill the silence with supportive words, just leans up next to him and Puss in Boots, um, you know, puts his, his paw on Perito's head and it's extremely touching scene. It's surprisingly effective. Um, it's almost like a, a sort of a, a way to teach your child or your children about, uh, about a panic attack, you know, how you, somebody could be filled with dread and it's okay. And, you need people to just be there to support you and to be around you. And maybe they don't even have to say anything, you know, maybe they can just be there for you. And it was, it was surprising and it was really cool. Like I remember seeing it just, just kind of, just kind of like holding my own breath and just seeing, wow, is this really happening? And it, it slowed down the movie, but in a good way, because it was quite a fast paced mm. movie as many of these are these animated kids movies they right. they almost just rush from one right. thing to the next and you just are like sometimes movies can be so fast they almost get kind of boring you know i don't know in a weird way <laughs> um i felt that way watching the new minions movie this year the rise of group so uh anyway oh, this yeah. was this was great um and uh you know i so i i recommend it i i liked that you know i liked that scene as i said but i liked the whole movie and um it, it also had a little bit of an interesting style of animation where it was almost, you could see the brush strokes. Like there were times mm. where there would be like a fight scene and instead of being like perfectly animated as realistically as possible, it was like, oh, it's hard to describe, but it was like almost um, old fashioned style Disney animation for a second, you know, for, for a few scenes. And so it didn't, um, and I think maybe that was just because, like, they're showing, like, hey, this is a fairy tale. These are fairy tales. These are these come from books. You know, these characters are originally from from nursery rhymes and things like that. Um, and so, anyway, but it was, yeah. I, so that's a that's a strong recommendation for me, especially for families. And yeah, yeah, you're in you're in good company. I've I've heard a lot of people 
say the same. And I, I think this is one, I think you kind of intimated this early on is that this is not something that got a, a whole lot of publicity, a whole lot of anticipation. I mean, it's, you know, at least the third movie in a series that was a spinoff of the Shrek series from long ago. And so mm-hmm. I don't think people would have high expectations going in, but, yeah. but it seems like it's delivered quite well. And, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I mentioned, I, I have seen, I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen a good chunk of it. And, and what I saw was, was impressive and it was, it was witty and clever and it, the animation was very good. And it was kind of this fun concept of always oh, at his last life. And so now this, yeah. this daring character now has to start kind of paying attention to what he's doing. And, and, uh, no, I, I think that, uh, for it's, it's nice when a movie can outdo its expectations rather than come in with high expectations and then fail to deliver. It seems like, it seems like that's what we have a lot more often, but, uh, and I don't, I don't know if that's a good segue to the movie that I saw. Um, but I finally joined the RRR club that, uh, we've, we've talked about a couple times on this podcast. We won't, uh, we won't, we won't rehash the, the entire plot. I mean, it's, it's basically a revisionist story that combines two key characters from, uh, India's past that uh, were, pertained to their independence from uh, from the Brit uh, the British back in I think it was set in the 1930s about wasn't it um, I'm not I sure I, actually, so, I saw yeah. an actual year but yeah just I it was a movie in all caps it was yeah. just the way that they just went for it and threw in. I mean, there there was over the top action and drama, and there were, you know, out of nowhere musical performances and then dances, you know, and mm-hmm. but it, but it wasn't a traditional musical because in a three hour plus runtime, I think there were only like two dances, you know, and a, and a few songs, and so it was really just kind of this. I I I just felt like. They wanted to do everything they possibly could to entertain the audience and give them their money's worth. Mm-hmm. And it was it was fun and it was crazy and it was campy yeah. and it was over the top, just like we you know, just like you had described before. It was fun. It was, it was totally fun and <laughs> and kind of bizarre and unexpected. And and so I'm I'm glad that I finally glad that I finally joined the club and uh would recommend it. So that so that one is on Netflix. Um, I was going to say up until recently, Sing Street was also on Netflix. I'm not sure if that still is or not hmm. because it's, it's the beginning of the month. And so some things have changed over. In fact, I was, you know, I was trying to find something to watch over dinner and, and noticed that uh, some things had changed around. So I guess that's just the reality of our streaming universe. Um, but uh, yeah, so RRR baby. RRR. I, I, I gave it a wholehearted, <laughs> fist pumping recommendation. I mean that that movie just yeah. shot out of a cannon right into your mm-hmm. skull. Yeah, there there was no uh <laughs> I mean you you'll you'll just see things in RRR that I don't think have ever been put on film. And mm-hmm. I mean that in a good way, you know? So yeah. That's, oh, that's absolutely. A, that's a fun one to recommend. No, and this this is one of my main takeaways from it is that you know, I I wouldn't call it the best movie of the year. I wouldn't call, I I'm not even sure I would say it's the best foreign film that I saw, Mm -hmm. you know, that came out last year. I would just say this is a fun, fun movie that is going to give you 
everything it's got and and you will not feel like anybody's only going halfway right because you know? that really is one of the things i think that bothers me the most with uh with certain movies is just the feeling like they're going through the motions they're just kind of this is just kind of an easy buck they're 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 kind of only doing things at half speed or halfway and and this is the opposite of that right this is this movie is you know it's fearless it's unabashedly uh full-throated red-blooded sentimental when it wants to be violent when it wants to be uh romantic melodramatic i mean it's i mean it's an epic it's three hours and i think it was over three hours you know yeah just Um, over just over so yeah it's it's well and i think the only people who wouldn't like it are if you're british well you know what's funny i heard uh, on a podcast that the brits like it in british audiences (laughs) yeah surprisingly they understood the i think because of the campiness if it had been more serious and less campy yeah like if 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 people weren't throwing like live animals at each other maybe (laughs) and and things like that that were happening you know and and uh, then uh, maybe maybe they would have been more offended, but apparently they're, they're like, oh, that was a hundred years ago, you know, nineteen twenties, and and yeah, they can they can let it go. <laughs> um, now I have to say, the the scene at the beginning, and this you know, no spoilers here, because the it, the the film mostly follows these two primary characters, um, both of whom are supposed to be kind of these, you know hyper masculine i mean it almost struck me this almost felt like a superhero movie mm-hmm. in in oh, the yeah. way that these these two characters were able to do things in fact it almost felt like what i want more superhero movies to be like because it was still basically grounded in reality but just you know hyper uh i don't know how to I'm, I'm, so maybe i'll describe it this way so one of the two characters, uh, I think was it Rom, I think was his name. He, he he's a he's a, a policeman uh, for the the occupying British government. Is my am I right? Is that the is that his name? Yeah, I think so. I'll, I'll look it up. But go ahead. Yeah, and and so we meet him when he is called to disperse a mob, an angry mob that's outside of I I don't know if it would be, you know the the police station or whatever, but it's this crazy scene. It lasts, you know, about 10, 10 to 15 minutes long. And it's basically this one guy taking on an angry mob by himself with like a stick. Mm-hmm. And there are parts that are a little bit, you know, they're definitely pushing the, the limits of believability, but it, but it's also very, very real and very, very kind of visceral. And, mm-hmm. I remember thinking, you know, by the time that scene is over, you know everything you need to know about that character. Mm-hmm. That it is, it is so burned into your mind. It was such an impressive thing. And then, and then they do another scene for the other character, which is also good, but still to me kind of paled in comparison. But holy cow, that was, I would, I mean, it's worth yeah. watching the whole three hours, but I would, I would, even if you just want to see something impressive and you got, 20 minutes i'd pop that on and watch that that early crowd scene you know it's funny it reminded me of when he even when he jumps into the crowd and he like jumps pretty far and then he yeah it's almost like he's suddenly doing aerobics or gymnastics to to find you know to fight off that entire crowd 
and and everything is landing you know he's not it's uh. just he's hitting exactly where he wants to hit and beating who he wants to be it kind of reminded me think of like um crouching tiger hidden dragon and and there's aerial other aero aerial dynamics bit. in this movie where it's just like almost defying gravity basically but like when they first mm-hmm. when they're fighting at first it's it's kind of normal but then they suddenly start going into the trees and then they're like you know standing with 200 pounds of body weight on like tiny little tree branches at the top of a tree which is just you know physically impossible and so it sort of goes to this fantasy level this you know magical realism level i guess that you're just like wait a minute what's happening here okay oh this is a fantasy this Mm -hmm. is you know an ancient uh can't remember the word they use wuxia i think martial arts chinese movie but I mean, this movie is much like more fun than Crouching Tiger and Dragon. I mean, that's almost just sort of a Shakespearean yeah. tragedy. This has a lot more fun elements to it, like 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 you mentioned. But yeah, it's definitely not mm-hmm. meant to be realistic. It's it's meant to be a, you know a movie. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's, even it's, though, even though it's, it's about some real characters, yeah, it's entertainment. Well, not a bad lineup this time. I guess I guess we yeah. have kind of a half endorsement and a half non endorsement. For the first movie, we got a strong mm-hmm. endorsement for the second one, and then two more. Yes, yeah. I would. You know, for the beginning of February, I'd be pretty happy with that. Right, I'd, I'd feel pretty good about having uh, <laughs> those kind of those kind of options. Um, I know. Looking ahead, uh, we're going to be seeing the new Ant Man movie coming up here, which. You know, again, if you're kind of listening to our previous episodes, I kind of have some mixed feelings on. Um, I, I've really enjoyed the Ant-Man series, but, uh, you know, Marvel doesn't seem to be at their peak at the moment. And so we'll have to see what they can get going. Um, can you think of anything else that's coming really, really soon? No, that's the big one in the next next few weeks is, is yeah, Ant-Man. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well... I guess uh, in the meantime, you got a few things that you can go and check out. And so, Mark, thank you as always, and uh, thank you, dear listener, for your time. We got uh, more to come in uh, in the near future, so be sure to pop back onto Spotify or iTunes or wherever you're listening to the fine podcasts. And uh, take care of yourselves, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.